Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is always my pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are talking about Cisco Intersight Cloud Operations Platform, and to help us drive the conversation, as always, we have an exceptional cast of Cisco Champion hosts. And not one, but two Cisco experts. So get comfortable and join us for what I'm sure will be an interesting conversation. All right, so let's get started with introductions. Brandon, we'll start with you. Tell us more about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Brandon Beck. I am a technical solution architect for Cisco. I'm based in uh, Austin, Texas. And I'm focused primarily on our cloud and compute strategies. And within that, specifically Intersight and kind of all things programmability that wrap around it, as well as cross-architecture things that that uh, wrap into that solution. As far as history, I've been at Cisco for quite a while, uh, coming up on 16 years. And in that time, covered from MDS, uh, storage networking, to UCS, to application load balancing, to Nexus, and uh, Tetration, and back to Compute Now. All right, very nice. Doran, you're up next. Who are you? What do you do? Howdy from Houston, Texas. Uh, my name's Doran Chosnick, and I'm with Cisco. I can almost say ditto to everything that Brandon said. We've kind of had very similar careers. He's been at Cisco a little bit longer than me. I've been there 11 years, and uh, I was a developer before that. All right. Oh, uh, Dan, who are you? What do you Hi. do? I'm Dan Kelcher. I am a senior uh, network engineer with Sleep Number, so mainly focused in the network space right now, but I've worked quite a bit with uh UCS and Hyperflex, Intersight, all that fun stuff in the past. So excited for the talk today. Joe, you're up next. Tell us about yourself. Howdy, y'all. Joe Hughes. Obviously, I can say ditto on the Texan parts. Uh, coming in from Austin, Texas. Currently an automation and integration solution architect for a Veeam, uh, for Veeam at a Cisco partnership, but... Uh, Long-time data center and UCS nerd in the past, so I've done all things UCS, uh, basically starting with Project California, uh, all the way up through Hyperflex and Intersight before moving over to the vendor side. All right, Shai, last but not least, what do you do, my friend? And and can you tell us, how do we say hello in California? Uh, aloha? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I wish. Nice try. Uh I'm Shai Silverman. I'm the director of network services at San Jose State University. Uh, been there about eight years and uh, been in IT for quite a long time. So uh, very familiar with the data centers and servers and uh, really kind of excited about this podcast, uh, largely because we're talking about like integrating the cloud into our data center, which is very exciting. And I do have a Twitter. It's uh, Shaidom, S-H-A-I-D-O-M. Thank you, sir. All right, Doran, kicking it back to you for a bit more detail around what we're talking about today. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, Cisco Intersight, which is a cloud operations platform that you've probably heard about because it's been around for several years now, but um, it's evolved quite a bit. In fact, it evolves 
every Thursday night when there's a new code drop and new features added to the platform. In addition to that, um, we can drop uh, things like bug fixes at, at any time. It's kind of the advantage of having a CI/CD pipeline. Uh, in, in addition to that, we're starting to pull a lot of data center and cloud services into this platform, including something called Intersight Managed Mode, which I think we'll cover a little bit today. And that's the new paradigm for how we're going to manage not just your on-prem resources, but your cloud resources as well. So looking forward to the conversation. So to start, can you give us just a little bit of a, a background on the kind of the journey that UCS and then coming into, I mean, a couple of us have already mentioned histories with, with Hyperflex and Intersight, but could you just kind of walk through a little bit more of what that story is and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, absolutely. I actually started at Cisco when Project California launched, which was, you know, the, the first UCS blade chassis. And it was pretty exciting to have 160 servers under a single management console. Um, of course, the obvious question is what happens when you get to server number 161? So although we were head and shoulders above all of our competitors, um, you, you, you had an obvious place where you start to fragment your management. So um, we've come out with Intersight and Intersight has also evolved and started as kind of a monitoring platform. But now we're actually able to um, take for our new Intersight Manage mode, take the policy that used to be in UCS Manager and actually manage that in the cloud. And so you're able to now apply um, all of your pools, all of your policies and all of your profiles to your across your entire infrastructure, not bound by that 160 uh, server limit. There's currently half a million devices connected to intersight.com. So it's a platform that, that can handle the scale of everything that you currently own and, and can throw at it. Uh, you can also currently kind of uh, absorb your UCS manager domains into intersight in sort of a monitoring only mode. So you can view things like alerts and uh, make firmware updates a little bit easier, but it's a it's an evolution towards this intersight manage mode. And I just wanna throw one more thing out there in case you're, you're thinking it. So now do I have to, am I forced? Do I have to go to intersight manage mode? And there is no forcing function. You can continue to use UCS manager with your 5108 chassis. Um, for the, there, there, there's no, no announcements of end of life in UCS manager on the 5108 chassis. So keep on trucking. And when you get a new project, uh, give intersight manage mode a shot because you really get much, much better scale. And a lot of the, uh, advantages of the intersight platform that I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into with some follow-up questions. Brandon, what did I miss there? I no, that was that was a great recap. I I would say where where Intersight started on its journey was more focused on server operations. So we wanted to create a, a consistent operational experience across the different uh, families of compute that Cisco offered, meaning standalone rack mount servers versus things that were attached to Fabric Interconnects, and then newer offerings like hyper hyperconverged with Hyperflex. 
So having a SaaS-based operational experience where you could put all the compute that's within your organization, all that infrastructure under one view and tie it into intelligent backend services like being able to understand the warranty or the contract that sits uh, that's attached to those various components of infrastructure, as well as enhancing things like your support experience within Cisco. So we can automatically collect support logs, um, be able to use our backend machine learning uh, service that looks at previous TAC cases or support cases and, and can really help reduce the time it takes to resolve an issue. And that's that's where it started out and it's evolved a lot from that time period. So now it's it's not just server infrastructure, but it includes cloud infrastructure. It does workload optimization. So, so workloads that you deploy on top of that on-premise or even cloud infrastructure can be constantly monitored, optimized, uh, and enhanced over time. And that's that's really the the theme of, of Intersight as a whole is to have a feedback loop, to look at the infrastructure that you have, be it a physical server, be it a cloud workload, be it anything in between, and be able to monitor that, enhance the support experience, and then optimize it over time. So, um I have a kind of a question kind of looking at this is uh, for all the sysadmins and, and operators and people looking at this is uh, a day in a life, right? So uh, what would the day in a life of an operations person look like uh, with Intersight and without? And and I'll throw out kind of an example there is assuming that you want to set up something like a Hadoop Spark cluster setup. What What would that look like differently with and without Intersight? Yeah, so within Intersight, I will say kind of going back to what we just previously talked through, there's a lot of different capability packed within this cloud operations platform. So depending on your area of focus as an IT operator, you would go into different aspects of Intersight. From a from a compute perspective in your example, you have the ability to create the abstracted representation of the the ideal server build for that use case. So Hadoop, Spark, whatever it may be, right? You have the ideal server build you now have a global view of all of the servers that you have in your inventory. So I can I can model that ideal server configuration. I can point that to physical servers, kind of like I could before. But now I have the additional benefits of being able to install an operating system on top of that. Uh, Intersight also includes an intelligent orchestration capability called Intersight Cloud Orchestrator. So I could start orchestrating things like maybe a Terraform workflow to, to go and provision that infrastructure, uh, leveraging additional automation scripts to go do things post-deployment. So it's it's more than just that kind of physical turn up like it was before. That's, that's the day zero kind of setup aspects of it. And then from an ongoing perspective, the support of the systems are constantly being monitored through the SaaS platform. If there's say certain hardware component failures that are detected proactively, we will go in and send a replacement for those parts. If there's a support issue on one of those systems, you can go to the exact system that you have a problem with in Intersight. And as an operator, I can say open attack case. It pulls through all the information about that system. So I don't have to go and kind of cross-reference another UI uh, screen when I'm trying to open a support case. It'll pull that through and then it will automatically collect support logs on that affected device. It'll go and look for potential problem areas, previous cases that we've seen that are similar to that, 
and help you as an operator quickly get to a resolution. And as Doran mentioned, you know, a, a, a big uh, benefit to this being a SaaS platform, if there's, you know, some type of, of management component or uh, some kind of software component of Intersight that needs to be fixed to address the problem that you're having, those things can quickly be added in through our CI/CD development pipeline. So that you're not you're not waiting around for a big firmware bundle drop like you were in the past. So from the perspective of a legacy UCS admin, you know, me being one of the hardcore nerds who started digging into the, you know, XML API and started converting absolutely everything over to PowerShell as soon as that was a capability that was built in with the the power tool suite and things like that to have kind of out of the box provisioning for everything from a handful of scripts that we always had to care for or add in all of our nice little decorators to make every, you know, chassis or UCS domain a special little snowflake. What capabilities are there now as you guys are really truly turning Intersight into a cloud operations platform? Like what um, what additional add-ons, what additional you know, modules or bolt-ons are, are there existing for the Intersight platform? And what sort of tooling can people actually use to now automate their on-prem data centers as if they were a fully public cloud infrastructure? I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to let Doran take that one because <laughs> you said PowerShell, which instantly got him super excited. So did I'm leaning forward. Those of you on the podcast can't see that. But yeah, thanks for asking that, Joe. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the API, actually, because um, Intersight was built from the ground up with uh, a fully RESTful API. So every single thing you can do through the GUI, you can do through an API with the same RBAC model. And so we have some really cool functionality around auto-generating SDKs. So Every time there's a firmware update, or I'm sorry, not a firmware update, a platform update, um, you automatically get a Python SDK, you get a PowerShell SDK, you get Ansible modules, and you get a Terraform provider. All of those things are always kept totally up to date. So when a new feature or new service is added to uh, Intersight, the the API is immediately extended to uh to allow you to configure and monitor those services. We also have a nice online API browser, which is great. Uh, if you've ever seen the one for, for WebEx, it's the same. You log in with your credentials and it lets you poke at every API endpoint with the credentials that you're logged in as and see like what the request looks like and, and what the response would look like. So very, very uh, developer friendly and DevOps friendly platform. So I'll bite. You've you've touched on Intersight Manage Mode a couple times. You're, you're clearly teasing something. Uh, you want to go into a little bit more detail there? Uh, sure. So with Intersight Manage Mode, uh, well, let me backstep one quick step. With anything that connects to uh, Intersight, it connects with something called a device console. And that is its sole job is to establish a secure communication to Intersight. And that runs on our rack servers today. It runs in UCS Manager today. So UCS Manager can establish that secure connection. And it runs in our fabric interconnects when you reboot them or reset them and put them into Intersight managed mode. In that mode, UCS Manager is totally gone. 
Okay, the only thing the Fabric Interconnect is doing now is establishing that secure connection and saying, give me policy, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. So the nice thing is that the Fabric Interconnect really becomes a lot more like a topper rack switch and you don't have to reboot those. I'm sure Shai will be excited about that. You don't have to reboot your Fabric Interconnects when there's a new UCS manager feature that you want to take advantage of. In fact, just like Brandon said, the advantage of being a SaaS platform is um, you log out and you log back in and, and you get new features, right? That's that's your reboot. And, and then did I catch that you're talking about uh, the ability to do hot patching now? Yeah, that is that is one of the, the benefits of moving the management software stack that was embedded into the Fabric Interconnects or hosted on the Fabric Interconnects into Intersight natively. So if there's an issue that's related to the management stack, the, even though the, the layout of <clears throat> or the architecture of that management stack was distributed, microservice oriented, et cetera, the way in which we delivered firmware was through these large bundles. And so if there was an issue, you kind of had to wait for those large bundles for, you know, there was three infrastructure, blade and uh, rack or uh, C-series. And you had to, you had to wait for the regression testing of all the other features that were put into those larger bundles. So now that it's up in the SaaS platform, we can be more pinpointed in what services we want to patch and we can more quickly deliver those. Like Doran said, awfully weak, usually weekly, sometimes even uh, more than once a week. Yeah, and can I give a quick example of that? Um, that we had a, um, a preview feature, a tech preview feature, and I found a, an issue in the GUI. It was, wasn't a big issue, but I submitted it through the feedback form through Intersight that uh, customers like yourselves would submit. And four hours later, I got a message from one of the developers saying, I pushed a fix for your issue into production, log out and log back in, it's fixed. And sure enough, he was right. Now, obviously, I cannot promise that SLA for every issue that you encounter, but that's kind of the power of, of the platform is the ability for us to really quickly address the issues that matter. Even just having that capability there is fantastic compared to, you know, in the past when there were things like Spectre and Meltdown and us having to sit on the edge of our seat for the blade bundle to drop to download a few hundred megs because we needed something that was probably 187k microcode for a cpu yeah exactly so i have a question i mean so you talked about it now i mean you're doing audit logs and you're collecting a lot of the data and telemetry from the compute platform uh so uh how are you using ai and ml uh on this platform uh, there's there's kind of a different uh, there's a few different ways in which we're doing that. So on the support side, we have our, our own kind of homebrewed uh, machine learning service that looks at, uh, and I've, I've alluded to this a little bit before, but when you open a support case and we collect the tech support for that system, it goes through, looks at symptoms that have been detected, error logs, uh, even snippets within the case notes and compares that to other support cases that we've seen in the past. And from that, if it has a match of, okay, most likely this is related to this other issue that we've seen, then that quickly 
bubbles up and becomes a, a quick path to resolution. So instead of kind of reliving that pain and having to manually go back and forth with TAC to try to figure out exactly where the problem area is, that backend machine learning service automatically munges through all that data and can find it very quickly for you. Um, another aspect of that is uh, when you look at workload optimization, you know, we have an analytics engine that's running as a, as a separate service within Intersight called Intersight Workload Optimizer, where when you deploy workloads, it could be uh, really it's it's across all your infrastructure. It's I, I'm saying workloads, but it's it's looking at the infrastructure that you have inside of Intersight. And that could be server infrastructure. It could be network infrastructure. It could be cloud infrastructure. And then it, it compares the workloads that are running on top of that, and it finds the most efficient optimized use of those infrastructure resources to support the applications. Meaning oftentimes we over-provision infrastructure so that we ensure the applications are running well and the end user experience is great, or in order to save costs, we try to be as efficient as possible, sometimes to the detriment of the needs of the application and the end user experience. So instead of trying to manually figure all that out, Intersight Workload Optimizer constantly runs in the background, figures out what is the ideal configuration for your infrastructure to match the needs of the application and, and can suggest app actions for you to go and maybe add more infrastructure. Sometimes it's to reduce infrastructure because you've over-provisioned. And it, it can even allow you to automate those action policies if you wish to. And, and this will, will, will have the granularity to look at Kubernetes and microservices as well. Absolutely. So Kubernetes, even cloud instances, absolutely. Now, now the, um, so I'm kind of looking at this as a cloud operation platform, and we hear a lot about intent-based uh, networking or, I mean, intent-based uh, technologies today. So um, you said that if you do an automation, so you have templates, can you elaborate about some of the intents and the templates that you have? I, mean, I know you mentioned one. So there, so you, the, you can use profiles within Intersight to do things like set up your entire Kubernetes cluster, right? So you define all of that within what's called a template. The same thing with Hyperflex, you can define the entire thing in what's called a, uh, a profile. I think I said template just a second ago, sorry, a profile. So you've got Kubernetes profiles, you've got uh, profiles for even for the personality of all of the ports of the Fabric Interconnect can be defined as a profile that you can clone multiple times and, and apply to a Fabric Interconnect. So all of that is, um, for those of you that are familiar with UCS Manager, that's that's the uh, the way we've always done things is define reusable components. And so the idea behind all of our new services is uh, Kubernetes, let's define a profile and apply it. You like it, you can clone it. Um, the same thing with Hyperflex. And um, also for those of you who like to or who don't like to manage different configurations for all of your top rack switches, that's the beauty of having things like port profiles is that now I can apply that to my new UCS domains and know that they're all configured identically. Yeah, and that's that was one of the your biggest success stories or appeals of 
UCS when it first came out is the ability to abstract an object's definition through the use of policies, pools, and tying that together into something called a profile. That same set of principles exists in Intersight. We're just expanding what it applies to. So it's not just for things attached to FIs, it's for standalone rack mount servers, it's for Hyperflex, it's for Kubernetes clusters, uh, and, and the list continues to expand of how we're applying that. So it's it's logically abstracting, applying through policy and profile, and then having a single API, to Joe's point earlier, having a single API that can drive all of that. Now, what about Cisco validator designs? That is an excellent question. Uh, so. The beauty of Cisco Validated Designs is that it gives you a really detailed reference architecture for a, a, a given use case. Um, the, the plan is to take that same approach, but in uh, electronic form, and I'm doing air quotes, I don't know why, because I'm on a podcast, uh, but to, to be able to take that reference architecture and execute that through our orchestration engine. So it's not just hey, let's read through 200 pages, which is nice because you have all the details on how to do something, but you still have to go and do it. Let's let's create that in the form of, of an orchestrated workflow. And now you can go and, and deploy that CVD instead of having to go and manually stitch it together yourself. And we have the ability also to do things like that through, say, Terraform, right? And, and creation and bundling of Terraform modules um, that can also be provided by the community. It just doesn't all have to come from us. And uh, with just a few inputs, be able to deploy a pretty massive infrastructure. Actually, Brandon just uh, completed some work on a module that deploys a full Hyperflex cluster and configures ACI for you. So it's a kind of a cross-architectural uh, module and does all of that work for you. And how many objects is it within ACI that you create to, to do the Hyperflux cluster? I don't remember, 30? Was it 30 it was or was it 18? 27. I think it was 27. 27. Yeah. All of that with just a few inputs into Terraform. So uh, it it's it's great how many places the Intersight platform touches and the ability to use uh, infrastructure as code and um, uh, templating to be able to configure that. So jumping back to kind of the Intersight manage mode, when we're looking at this as, you know, a cloud connected solution, what does that do for like SimC access, the KVM, the ability to, to attach like a virtual CDs, things like that, or how do, is that impacted or can you kind of talk through that a little bit? Yeah, that's um, a great question, and it reminds me of the early days of UCS Manager. The first question people would always ask is, what happens if UCS Manager goes away? <laughs> no, your entire infrastructure does not shut down. Um, SimC is still there. Uh, SimC is still used for things like uh, vMedia and for enforcing the policy that you push down onto that server from Intersight. So it is still absolutely there. Uh, in case you get disconnected from the cloud, not everybody has uh, 100% uptime on their internet connection. And for blades, you'll, st you'll still use the Fabric Interconnect as your emergency backdoor KVM access to all of your blades. So you still have full local control over every single one of your servers. 
So I'm going to kind of jump into a, a nine-letter word that sometimes people don't like talking about, but I think it's very important. That's licensing. How is this licensed? So um, every server is, gets can have a different license tier associated with it, depending on what features within Intersight you want to take advantage of for that specific server. Uh, in addition to that, we're introducing some value-added um, services like our Kubernetes service that, that just landed um, that will be separately licensed. And those things, uh, you know, the, the terms for those licenses could be different for the different services. But the base thing that you need to think about is um, how am I going to license each individual server? Um, there is a free tier, by the way. And um, each additional tier adds uh, some more enhancements. But regardless of what tier you, you get, you get things like um, auditing right built in right away. We've mentioned that before, but it's great when everything in your infrastructure is configured from a single platform. It would be great to go in and look and see what has Shy been up to lately? Let me go look through the audit logs and see, let me filter on Shy and event equals created and see, or actually event equals deleted and see what kind of uh, mischief Shy has been up to. Uh -oh. uh, plenty. That's yeah. <laughs> now, is there any thoughts about also flex licensing? I mean, because one of the things I see with clouds is that depending in times of the year and all that, I mean, your demands uh, and the number of servers needed uh, might might fluctuate. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you can log into Intersight and change your license tier on a server on a daily basis, if you so choose. So it all it all ties back to the smart licensing portal and is based on how many licenses is, is your account entitled to, but how you distribute those is, you know, that's up to you guys. So that's an interesting question for something that would be uh, kind of a, a day zero for a particular site. What does it look like for kind of a workflow if somebody's bringing in new equipment at a site that they potentially don't have anybody that is really smart hands? You know, if they're having somebody just unbox some gear, like some Hyperflex edge nodes and plugging them in, what is that going to look like for somebody trying to bring that up uh, from the Intersight perspective? Are, are you tying that back to licensing or are you just asking? No, in, just in, in general, general, like what, what does it look like, you know, for the for the ease of use of somebody at an intersite console that has all the knowledge that they need to bring that gear online. Whereas somebody who's on site maybe just knows I plug in this color of cable into this particular port. Absolutely. So the things that I, I need you to do for me are plug in those cables and then claim those devices into intersite. In fact, I, I probably don't trust you to have my intersite credentials. So I'll ask you locally to give me the device ID and claim code for that device and I'll claim it into the intersite account. I'll put it in the organization where it belongs to and then I'll probably hand it over to uh, uh, the expert or the SME on my team that has full admin rights within that organization to spin it up. And if it's a Hyperflex cluster, I'll probably go uh, steal Brandon's code and deploy it all from, uh, from Terraform. Uh, within a couple of minutes. And there are programmatic ways you could you could do the uh, registration with Intersight. So if they're savvy enough to just execute a script there, then it could go and, and set up all of those servers that were cabled properly. And they, they already 
establish a communication with Intersight. It's just we need to complete the registration process. And so that's something that you could very easily automate if you wanted to. Another question here is <clears throat> we didn't really kind of touch upon is the security aspects. How is using Intersight uh, improve the whole security posture of your infrastructure? You have Mr. Doran Chosnick who wrote the security chapter of the Intersight handbook here. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him take that one. Well, yeah. So let's uh, let's actually mention the book. So go to intersight.com slash help and click on resources. And there's uh, a book uh, that a handful of us and myself and Brandon included uh, wrote on Intersight that's available there as a free download. Um, autographed copies are pending, I think. Um, so security, uh, there's a lot of cryptographic um, work that takes place to ensure that a rack server or blade server or, or whatever on-prem device is talking to Intersight. So they both have to confirm, first of all, that they trust the other entity. And then that secure channel is, is, uh, is created. But in addition to that, you sort of asked about the, the security posture. So first of all, we, we do uh, integrate with lots of third-party identity providers. So, in fact, in our lab, we use uh, Microsoft Active Directory. Um, and so people are authenticated against that. Um, I log in with my Cisco credentials and I, get, I use Duo dual-factor authentication for that. And then you've got all of the, you can put all of your people in different groups, associate those groups with different roles, so um, somebody could have multiple roles in multiple different organizations. And of course, if you're in the uh, marketing organization, you cannot see any of the resources that are in the engineering organization unless you've explicitly been given that right. And the, the, the privileges range from everything from read-only all the way up to administrator, just like you, you know and love today with UCS Manager. And then the audit logs. If I mentioned audit logs, you can always go back and yes. figure out if anyone's been up to no good. This this question is a great tie-in to to some other topics that have come up, and that's we Intersight also has the ability to um, uh, list out any security advisories that are affecting your specific environment. So we you have read my a, mind. Yes, we have a team within Cisco called the Product uh, Security Incident and Response Team, and they generate CVE documents for known issues, uh, including the severity of that issue, a detailed description of that issue, and proposed uh, solutions, which oftentimes includes a, a firmware update. So we have a tie-in to that back-end system that houses those security advisories, we compare that to your environment. So Joe talked about, you know, Spectre and Meltdown earlier. So when those types of, of uh, vulnerabilities come up, they get documented in the form from the PCERT team in the form of a CVE. We now know in your environment what specific devices are affected by that. And so there's a big megaphone icon at the top well it's not megaphone is it is it the megaphone yeah yeah it is the megaphone. megaphone sorry yeah. uh there's a big megaphone at the top of intersight that says look here and it'll tell you the number of affected um, advisories that you have and then you click into that advisory and it gives you the full description the severity the list of devices and the fix for those devices 
And if I want to go in and resolve that right then, then I can click into the device and kick off a firmware update, which Intersight can automate for you. Awesome. Now, how do you integrate with like third-party storage or, or manage it? Actually, I wanted to toss in one quick point on what Brandon just said, Shai, because it, it goes back to uh, to your question of licensing. So those advisories that Brandon mentioned are hugely helpful. Um, they're also public. So if you wanted to, you certainly could go read them on a daily basis and then go cross-reference that to all of your infrastructure and figure out which ones apply to you. That's certainly well within your, your rights. Or you can go to the license tier that actually points those out to you and associates them directly with the servers that are affected. So that's kind of one of those places where where you get to choose. Yeah, reading CVEs is how I turn into a zombie usually. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Two points. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So so back... to my question about, uh, I mean, a lot of times in the environments, I mean, we do have third-party storage. What's, I mean, how do you manage and integrate with third-party storages? So we have written an integration framework. Uh, starting out, there's Pure, NetApp, and I believe Hitachi is in there as well. Yes, um, Hitachi's in there. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a framework that allows us to register. So there's there's a a concept of target registrations within Intersight. So a server could be a target. Um, a third-party storage device could be a target. There's a number of different target types that we support. But with that, we can now pull in information about that storage system and, and actually pull it into the Intersight UI and allow you to have dashboard widgets to look at like the host groups that are created, the, the capacity of the drives, a lot of the, the metrics that are associated with a storage device. Um, as well, we can pull that into our orchestration engine. So there's there's visibility that comes with just pulling it into our UI and the dashboard widgets. But then there's how do I actually configure that storage system? And that's where we go back into Intersight Orchestrator and we have a whole task library that can now be used against those storage systems to actually create a LUN, create a storage group, create a host group and attach those things together. Yeah, and, and we didn't write those integrations, right? We didn't go write the pure storage integration. We provided that framework to allow um, an on-prem appliance to go talk to those APIs. So uh, using Intersight and that secure channel to talk to an appliance on-prem allows us to talk to third-party APIs from, like Brandon said, those three storage providers and even VMware's vCenter, right? We, we can pull that in and see the full inventory of your vCenter through that mechanism. Great. Yeah, that device connector concept that Doran brought up earlier, that's that's a big differentiator of Intersight. It's, it, that's our way to talk to things on-premise, to channel that communication securely from within your network to Intersight. Nothing's initiated from the Intersight side. So you're not poking holes in your firewall to allow a SaaS system to talk in. It's, it's all done through a WebSocket from that device connector. And we use that framework similarly in an a, a on-site or an on-prem OVA called the Intersight Assist that can talk to those storage systems. It also enables us to do things like host agents for Terraform Cloud. So if you are running um, 
workspaces and and have infrastructure as code housed within Terraform Cloud that you would like to use to control infrastructure on premise. That typically means you need to install agents that you then have to manage and and keep those operating systems patched, secured, etc. to to host those agents. We can similarly host those agents for you inside of Intersight Assist through a new service that we announced. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, called Intersight Services for HashiCore Terraform. HashiCore Terraform. I always butcher that. Uh, but it, it similarly uses that device connector, secure communication uh, approach. Is there any Cisco live sessions that uh, the listeners can refer to also about Intersight? Oh, there, there's several. So the, uh, there's one that I did uh, that, that Doran teased um, on infrastructure as code. So it's using Terraform providers. Uh, there's one that Doran did with Michael Doherty on Intersight Kubernetes services. Uh, I think there's a general session in there on IMM, Intersight Managed Mode, that David Soper yeah. did. So that would be a good one to look at as well. And there, there are probably labs. There's, pro- there's probably... Uh, the better question is how many sessions did not touch Intersight, at least <laughs> on the <Wow>. border. <laughs> so since we're a bunch of geeks, one of my one of my favorite questions is, you know, what's what's the thing with Intersight or all of the stuff that we've talked about? But, you know, what's what kind of you geek out? You're like, this is this is just cool. So, you know, favorite feature, what you thought was the most interesting. Uh, that's an easy one for me, and I'm going to take it real quick so Doran doesn't steal it from me. It'd be the <laughs> API. <laughs> I just just coming from a programmability background and and really loving to automate anything I possibly can, typically out of laziness. Um, yeah, this modern approach of using an open API foundation for or schema has enabled us to do so many cool things. Like everything you do in Intersight is API driven and we auto-gen the SDK. So if you if you like PowerShell, cool. You can do everything you want to do with PowerShell. If you like Python, the same applies there. Ansible, Terraform, Go. So it, it just makes it really simple to go and, and automate anything you want in Intersight through the API. Yeah, son of a gun. That's exactly what I was going to say. I I really like the uh, the API, the fact that I can do everything in that API, and the fact that I get a SDK in my language of choice that's always up to date. Just can't beat that as a geek. I think one. I guess one other one, just so we're not both saying the same thing, would be uh, the new approach that we've taken to server abstraction. You know, now that the industry has recognized, hey, it, it makes a lot of sense to abstract the way that a server is defined in more of a, an object type model. And uh, that standard today, or at least one of them is Redfish, which is what we use inside of Intersight. But now I can I can have the exact same type of abstracted server policy or profile definition that applies to a standalone rack server, an edge server that's that's out of the data center, you know, at an edge site location or on-premise uh, traditionally attached to like a, fab- a pair of fabric interconnects, it doesn't matter where it's located, the form factor, the model, all of that policy or abstracted definition is the same across all of it. And it being SaaS, it doesn't, right, there's no scaling limitations to that. Yeah, and that's that's a great springboard for me to just ask folks, you know, give 
intersite managed mode a shot? You know, who wants to create an NTP policy 50 times? Why not create? Yeah, uh, Shy wants to, but uh, nobody else does because we're all sane and we want to use a single <laughs> NTP policy and apply it across our entire infrastructure. I, I, I don't want that to apply to just 160 servers or 10 servers. Um, I love that scale of Intersight. And so give Intersight Managed Mode a try. There's no reason you can't pull in your UCS manager domains and manage them all side by side. Uh, seamlessly. So all you have to do is is go claim, uh, I'm sorry, reboot a, a, a Parafabric Interconnects in Intersight managed mode and claim it. That's it. You don't have to like go enable something in your account. So give it a shot. Very good. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in today, and a special thank you to our guests and Cisco Champions for being a part of today's episode. Again, if you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.